0: Podcast
1: One. We are back in the studio.
2: Dylan Alcott, good to see your face. Good to see you too, brother. We've... Had to bank up a few before I left, obviously, because I was Mm -hmm. away for eight weeks playing tennis and doing the hotel quarantine. But wait, you maybe on the the US Open. Yeah, US Open. I played really shit (laughs) and didn't win. And then, uh, but luckily, got the job done at the French Open. Hey mate, imagine if I had lost the French Open and then into hotel quarantine. it would have been a tough, rough portion. Tell. I mean, that would have been tough to be. I would have been average unit to be around.
1: And thank you very much to Listenable people as well for getting through a couple of those times that I had to use voice memo quality audio at the top or tails of yeah. our interviews. Yeah, yeah. We're back, baby. Our Mike Rolls was our last banked interview which means this is a brand new, fresh Freshie. episode. It's like It's like opening up a bakery door at 7am and you know they've just cooked those rolls. Oh, yeah. That feeling is about to hit your little, ears. Little
2: Brumbies, like special. Absolutely.
1: Make sure you subscribe because we are about to meet another guest who is nominated by you, Legends, at Listen Enable podcast at Outlook.com. Let's let her introduce herself.
0: Hi everyone, my name is Jess Van Ziel. I am a motivational speaker, a published author. Um, and I'm so excited to be here. You guys have made me very hungry talking about roles, by yes. the way. So <laughs> I'm sitting here like craving a croissant now, so thanks.
1: Okay, quick question before we get into the formalities: Favourite bakery treat, is it a croissant, is it a jam donut, an eclair? What are you into?
0: Oh, I'm always the one for a brownie actually. Oh, I can do that. I'm a garlic twist guy.
2: Yeah, I'm a (laughs) weirdo. We don't have
1: you on for your favourite bakery treats. We do have you on for your story about disability. And what is your disability, Jess?
0: So I've got, I guess, a couple of different ones. I am monocular, so I'm a one-eyed wonder. <laughs> um, and then I've got a couple of hidden, like hidden disabilities as mm-hmm. well. So um, I have a weakness through my right side of my body just due to brain surgery, which we will, I'm sure, jump into at some point. Um, and then I've also got chronic illness, which is Addison's disease. So a couple of different ones sitting all there.
1: Well, let's focus on uh, what we first see. You are monocular. You have one eye. And you yeah. proudly display, like we're looking at you right now. People will see in our socials, but you you don't wear glasses. You don't have an eye patch. You are as you are.
0: Yeah, I wear eye patches every now and then. They're definitely more for that sort of fun. Yeah. I get to sort of play it up and have like match them in with my outfits. I've got about 50. Oh, can so I, I, I own more eye patches. I've seen your purple ones. Shoes. Yeah, so before, before <laughs> we get
2: into it, I've got to say your fashion game with the eye patch, mm. I was just stalking your Instagram good stuff <laughs>
0: yeah
2: it's like a, it's like it's like how people are having to wear you know where we're in melbourne with masks people fashion up the masks mm-hmm. i really like it that you wear uh, an eye patch sometimes or as we can currently see you not hiding it at all when did you kind of make a decision to to do that
0: i guess when i found out that the surgery was happening um i kind of went down into this really depressive state for about 24 hours and just really analyzed what I was going to do with my life and how I was going to do it. And there was definitely that choice of I can either hide from the world or I can really embrace this and take this on. And I was like, well, I want to embrace this, but how do I do that? And then I started looking up like eye patches. There was a rapper who I used to listen to called Brooke Candy. And she recently, like within about a month before I found out about the surgery, had released a song and she had this really cool eye patch. So I had it in the back of my mind. I was like, I'm going to wear these cool eye patches so within about 24 hours in my little etsy account there was about 50 <laughs> eye patches and then i had to find out how i was going to afford to pay for them because they're not cheap oh what's the cost of an eye yeah. patch
1: roughly um, average,
0: it. so like the leather basic basic ones are about fifty dollars each then some of those beautiful extravagant ones go up to about three or four hundred wow
1: okay <laughs> yeah. is there designer does louis vuitton have an eye patch
0: I wish. (laughs) I wish.
1: Maybe we can make you
2: can collab. You're getting pretty famous now, so you guys can do a collab. It'd be fun. You got a lot of um, face bling because you'll have a mask on at the moment and an eye patch sometimes.
0: It does make my life so much harder. (laughs) Coordinating the eye patch with the mask, with the outfit, it's a lot of coordination.
1: But doing my research on people who were monocular, some people don't like to show their eye, whether it's for their own vanity reasons, self-esteem, they just yeah. don't want people to judge them on their eye and how it looks. You mix up those two. Is, is it occasion based? Uh, why will you wear an eye patch one day, you won't another?
0: I think at the start it was definitely more of like my crutch that I needed to get through the day, and it was sort of that thing that bought out the confidence in me. I don't. I've never worn one at home. I've never worn one in my own space, in my own environment. I always knew that I wanted to learn to love, and now I obviously do really love and embrace the person that I am in the mirror and. So it was always about building my confidence and stuff like that. Um, as far as when I choose to wear them and not to wear them, I don't wear one when I'm exercising because it gets quite like sweaty underneath, mm. yeah. which sounds so gross, <laughs> <laughs> but it does. And yeah, I think sometimes it's just easier not to answer the questions. Yeah. I know that if I don't wear yeah. an eye patch, I do get a lot more questions and a lot more staring. Um, so the eye patch also just kind of, I can brush it off as a fashion accessory.
2: I was going to ask about that because you get fatigued talking about it. Like, it's like when people come up to me in bar and go, why, why are you in a wheelchair? I was like, who, yeah. who effing cares why I'm in a wheelchair? Like, let's just have a beer together. You know what I mean? Because it's a, a disability you don't see very often. Like, you know, there's not many monocular people out and about, especially showing it. Do you find that most people ask about it straight away or are people scared to talk about it? Like, what's people's reaction?
0: It's a mix of both. Um, it's not even just like some people won't say anything, other people will. And then there's the questions of like, what's wrong with you? And yeah. it's like, well, nothing's wrong with me. And then I'll get questions that they'll kind of just go, well, why are you wearing an eye patch? And it's like, well, that's actually none of your business. Hi. Hello. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
2: Let's wind it back a little bit then. So you started your life with both eyes. Give our listeners the the, the story about, about your journey and what happened.
0: I guess it kind of goes back to, I was eight and there was this little red spot on the white of my eye and mum used to bring it up with the doctors And they just sort of said it was a burst blood vessel to come back in six months. We would do that. Nothing would change. And it would kind of just be this whole back and forth with the doctors. When I hit my later teens, and I'm assuming it's got something to do with the hormones uh, racing through my body at that point, uh, it did start to change. It became a little bit more vascularized and high density. And it started to irritate my eyes. So when I was blinking, I could actually feel like there was something there. And I then started to pursue it a little bit more. It was also more visual. So people were starting to ask questions to me about it and I had no answers. And even then it was kind of swept under the rug for a little bit. And it wasn't until I was about 20 and I went to my GP and he was like, okay, we're going to put you in with an ophthalmologist. And he's like, it's probably just something they need to do, like a laser removal type of thing, like they'll do with your skin. And I was like, okay, no worries, booked in an appointment, didn't think too much about it. And I went to this ophthalmologist and then all of a sudden this, you know, appointment I thought was going to be 30 minutes was four hours. Mm. And they had taken photos of the back of my eye, the front of my eye, they had put eye drops in my eye. They were looking every square little millimeter of my eye was analyzed. And then I'm sitting there going, okay, so what's going on? Why am I still here? And he just said, oh, okay, well, we need to do a biopsy on your eye. And I went, okay, well, we'll have to sort that out through the public system. Cause I don't have private health insurance. And he said, no, he's like, you don't have the time. If it is cancerous, we need oh. to get you through the doors now. And I went, what? And I cannot remember the rest of that appointment. I know that he kept talking and stuff like that. And I'm just sitting there freaking out. Firstly, I'm 20 being told that I potentially yeah. have cancer. Secondly, I've now got to go home and relay to the, to my parents that I need surgery. That, We hadn't expected at all. Mm. And we were going to have to book it in and find the money within like two weeks. So I was very overwhelmed and went through with that surgery and it came back as benign. So I kind of just went on with my life. I was like, okay, well, I've had this little brush with cancer. It's made me appreciate my life. I think it, you know, changed my perspective a little bit in the fact that, you know, things can happen. Your health can change. I'm 20 and, you know, I can't take my life for granted anymore. So it did give me that perspective, but I did just keep going on with life. And about six months after that surgery, there were these three spots that turned up on the white of my eye and I just brushed them off. I was like, well, it's just going to come back as another benign nevus, which is what they told me it was. And I didn't really pursue it. My mom was freaking out and I was like, mom, it's fine. It's fine. I can't afford to, you know, ruin my university degree over the stress of something that's just going to be benign. So I pushed it to the side and about on the 12 month point of that surgery, I went for a uh, review with the doctor and that's when he was like, okay, that's not good. And he said that the pathologist had flagged it, sent my, the analysis around like to different doctors to look at, and then had diagnosed me with uh, conjunctival ocular melanoma, which is a mouthful. mm mm-hmm. And at that point, I was still very much like, "Oh, okay. Well, can we just monitor that?" For- but if you've had then- so
1: many, like you know, you had yeah, the benign, course. you've had so many specialists yeah. look at it, you're like, "Okay, is everyone else re- overreacting? Don't
2: ruin my good vibes over but here." I'm a, I'm a bit yeah. like that as well with my health because I'm disabled. Like, just shit happens sometimes, and you're like, oh, "Yeah," right. and mm. then you're like, "Oh, I'm actually cooked today." Like, you think you're not actually because mm. you've heard it so many times, you've been through it, so it's a fair enough reaction yeah. to have.
0: Well, at that point, I was very sick of it. I was like, "Well, this whole cancer thing's a real like." we're making a big deal out of something that really isn't impacting my life. I don't look sick. I don't feel sick. Like mm. nothing's going on. And you guys are putting like a little halt on my life in my twenties. Can we just, you know, put it to the side right now? And again, it was like six months, nothing was happening, wow. uh, no treatment, any, like nothing. I I literally was seeing a doctor every six weeks and that was it. And I was getting very fed up with it. And then it felt like overnight and there were like these five dark black spots that came up. There was this lump underneath the left eyelid that was qu- like about the size of a pea and it was like rock hard. It was really weird. oh, So like, every time was-
2: you blinked, could you feel the – Bump? No,
0: but I could feel like, so every time I like put makeup on, cause it was like right there, oh, I could no. feel it. And it was, it was very odd and it looked really weird. And um, as time kind of like passed, it got like darker and stuff like that. So I was just using more and more concealer because I was getting more and more uh, self-conscious as well. And yeah, they put me in for a biopsy again. That one came back as positive melanoma. And the doctor basically said, we are going to have to take a much more drastic approach to this And in my head, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I guess that means I'm going to lose my eye. And then he was like, and I was like, oh, you know, people can wear a glass eye. It looks fairly normal. I know people can drive. I know we can do all these normal, like, you know, life's not going to change that much. It's not ideal, but it's not going to change a whole lot. And then he was like, oh no, we're going to have to take your eyelids and close over the eye socket for good. And I sat there, I was like, what I was like, how how are you going to reconstruct this? I was still trying to work out how he was going to make it look like a normal eyelid, how yeah. I was going to blink, how that was actually. Well, that I sort
2: was going well, both going to ask yeah. that because I, I was, you know, don't have an eyelid, and I was going to say, but
1: I didn't realize until you just mentioned that you don't have an oh, eyelid so that I, was, I realized you didn't have an eyelid. Isn't yeah. that weird? Because I, I, I'm looking <laughs> at you yeah, know, that was
2: my, I noticed that when you were speaking. So was my next question was going to be, how do they go about it? But why did they decide that they had to take the eyelid and close it over?
0: So when the cancer was on just the white. Of the eye, which is the conjunctiva that is localized. When it had spread to that lower eyelid, it meant that the cancer had started to metastasize and started to spread even more. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So then they had to start treating it as a skin melanoma, yeah. and skin melanomas have larger sort of excision sites. Um so I know I think it was like a four centimeter excision or something like they that. They
2: always take they more to, to yeah, because it, the hope yeah. is that and they're if, gonna get if it's on your skin and go in your blood and go in your body, then mm-hmm. you're in all sorts. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, so just quickly yeah.
1: to divert, is this sun related? Is it is this from excess sun? Or oh, we don't know because that's what all I know with melanoma. But yeah. is am I wrong? Can you get it via other sources?
0: This they, they still don't know. Conjunctival melanoma is incredibly, incredibly rare. Mm-hmm. So When I went and saw my specialist who specializes in conjunctival melanoma, I was the third person in my age group that he's ever seen. And he's been practicing for like 30 or 40 years. Mm. There's, there's data coming through saying that it can be sun related, that it can't be. The fact that I had that little red spot on the white of my eye is, potential that something just mutated. Mm -hmm. And whether or not that was sun related, we don't know. But I am definitely very conscious with my my eyes. I've always been conscious with them. Like I always wear sunglasses, try and wear a hat and stuff like that to protect them, but more conscious now.
2: Do you and your mother, because you went to a lot of doctor's appointments together and and your dad, do you have resentment towards the doctors, especially when you were younger, just kind of passing it off? And by the sounds of it, if you took the eye out and it wouldn't have spread to your eyelid at that point, so you might've had other options?
0: I think they did the best with the information that they had as difficult as everything has been. And I, it's something I would never wish on anyone else. My experience and what I've gone through has made me the woman that I am today and Mm. put me on the path that I'm on and I would not change it for the world.
2: Yeah. It's good to hear that. So when they told you that you were going to have to take the whole eyelid and close over the, the eye socket What's going through your head then?
0: I told them to get screwed. Yeah, I want to say get <laughs> F personally. I
2: would oh, like, yeah. Absolutely no way.
0: So Yeah, I was like, let's find another option. What are the treatment options? Are there like, I want to live a normal life. I want to be normal. I want to, you know, I just want like normal. I was obsessed with it. I was 22. Like in my mind, I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to finish my university degree. I'm going to, you know, get married, have kids, do all the typical things. And that point really kind of felt like it was severing that option of normality. Mm-hmm. And basically the doctor just said, well, it's your eye or your life. And you won't be here in five years if we don't do the surgery. And it was like an absolute mic drop moment. It was definitely what I needed. I, I am one of those people that will search for every little loophole if that has not become <laughs> obvious already. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> I will find my way out of something. So for him to just kind of go, you've got one option was necessary.
1: Let's talk about the moment that you open up your I for the first time uh, post-surgery. Um, what was that moment like in the first moments of adjustment? Oh,
2: yeah. Is it is it like a black? Can you still see? Yeah, that was like one of my questions. blackness, you know? Because if I
1: close one it's, of my eyes, it's, is it yeah, black or it is it just nothing through, there? Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: It's weird because you don't lose. So if you, like, in where you guys are there, like put one hand over the eye, yeah. like one of your eyes, mm-hmm. you only lose about 10% of your peripheral vision.
2: Correct, yeah. So I'm right eye dominant. I know that from playing basketball and tennis. Yeah. So are you, were you right, you, you're missing your left eye. Were you right eye dominant?
0: I think so. My eye, like when I go and get eye tests, my eye is still stronger than 2020. Yep.
2: <laughs> so, so yeah. So you opened up your eyes after the operation and, and what, what do you see?
0: The first sort of thoughts once they took that bandage off, cause that was the scariest day. It was probably about day four post-surgery And I remember feeling terrified. And I had these two beautiful, it was a female nurse and a female doctor coming in, and they were so gentle and so loving and so caring throughout that. And they undid the bandage. And I remember being terrified. But at the same time, I was like, I just need to look. Like, I just need to look and start embracing the person that's in the mirror. And I remember getting up, looking at my face in that mirror, and just kind of going, Oh, it's not as different as I thought. I think I had. Over dramatized it, and I'd made it sound like I was going to look like some sort of patchwork doll. Mm-hmm. And in reality, they'd done such a beautiful job. And I just sat there. I was like, "Oh, okay. Like, I still look like me. I'm still the same woman that went into that surgery. I've got, you know, a little bit of a battle scar going on here, but other it than that, it looks very like, I like yeah. I don't I've,
1: mean to talk about aesthetics or any base anything on it, but it, it kind of flows really. Like, it's. I've never seen. Uh, I've yeah. never <laughs> met
2: someone, monocle sorry, who. Like, I've never seen it without a patch or or a glass eye or whatever. You look great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, on this guy, I really – they've done a great job. Mm. And it's not even a big thing. But I still imagine Mm. you walk out of that hospital and there still is a level of, I guess, self-consciousness about it, especially when you're outside the medical professional meeting, you know, everyday people.
0: Yeah, getting back into normal life was really difficult because – I I decided to wear the eye patches and stuff like that. And I was like, oh yeah, they look really cool. And then I started getting people yell out to me about being a pirate and started singing song like the pirate songs and stuff like Mm. that. So it really did a number on my sort of self-confidence at that point. And I really started to notice as well that the way that I was feeling at the start of the day really impacted what I was noticing. So if I was feeling really self-conscious when I went to even just the supermarket, I knew that like my body, like I had my head down. I was like kind of shrinking and trying to avoid eye contact and stuff like that. And all I could imagine and all I could see at that point was people staring. And I hear like, I don't even know if people were actually saying things or if it was just me interpreting that they were Mm. about me. And I think that it was like that, it, I mean, I don't have a spotlight on me. So no one, not as many people are paying ah. attention to me as I think I assumed were. And then when I felt confident, it was like if someone did stare, I was like, oh yeah, they're just looking at my really cool iPad. It's fine. Yeah. So like the the how I felt about myself was way more important than what the rest of the world was seeing and perceiving me as. And there are, you know, the outliers that will actually say things to me, but it was definitely more to do with my own mental well-being and stuff.
2: You said uh, at the opener when we started chatting that you had other hidden disabilities as well outside of just, um, losing your eye. Do you want to touch on them real quick?
0: Yeah. So after I lost my eye, um, everything kind of went back to normal. I was back studying, working, all of that sort of stuff and was doing like regular cancer scans. 11 months after I lost my eye, I had a seizure at home. I was raced down to my local hospital um, they did a CT scan followed by an MRI and it turned out that the melanoma had metastasized to my brain. Oh, rough um, so yeah, that was probably one of the most terrifying days and I still, like I can recount the entire seizure as well. So yeah. it's very haunting. Um, yeah, and eyes one thing,
2: but when you hear brain, uh, that's, I mean, that would hit your whole body. Wouldn't yeah. It? That would, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And like, I just remember my mom just like, she was next to me. She burst into tears. I actually remember the doctor, mom had gone home because I'm one of four kids as well. So mom had gone home because we'd been at the hospital for so long because you know they've got so many other patients to deal with. So it took about eight hours for us to get the diagnosis. And while mom was not there, this doctor had come in, she wouldn't speak to me while I was by myself. And one of the things being a young cancer patient that we that you do of often find is you either get looped in with being a child and a minor or you get looped in with being an adult and dealing with your own stuff. There's kind of not this in-between understanding that you can kind of, you, you're still you finding your butt. balance between yeah, yeah. being or an adult a young and adult. Yeah. a child. That's really yeah, exactly. yeah. interesting because
1: there's the children's ward and there's yeah, so yeah. there's a treatment then all of a sudden, bang, you're in an adult's ward and an they adult they world. You expect
2: everyone's 50 and have a life and they know what they're doing. And, uh, they, you know, it's pretty exactly. tough. Yeah. I've never thought about that.
0: So, yeah, this doctor wouldn't talk to me. And I just assumed it was because she decided I was a minor. And I remember sitting there advocating for myself so hard. Mm. I was like, I'm over 20. I'm 22. I was like, you can talk to me. And I was like, you don't need my parents here. She's like, yeah, I'm still going (laughs) to wait. I was like, I was so mad. Mm. Very grateful afterwards to find out the reason why was because obviously the diagnosis, she didn't want me to be alone when she gave it to me. Uh, and then I was taken up to the Peter Mack hospital, which is the main cancer center in Melbourne and went through all of my treatment options. The immunotherapy, which is basically helps your builds up your immune system to help fight the cancer was one of the recommendations for me. However, it wasn't covered by the PBS. Uh, yeah, yep. $30,000 a dose and I needed four of them. Um, so I I just
2: makes my blood boil when I hear things like that.
0: Like oh you can get yeah this I nearly favorite,
2: didn't what? accept it cash yeah it's just so silly
0: yeah I nearly didn't accept it I was like you know that that's ridiculous I can't like I can't put my parents in a position because I think as well the treatment they said it was like only a thirty percent chance of actually working so in my mind I'm like you're asking my parents to outlay one hundred twenty thousand dollars for a treatment that may or may not work and yeah. then they're going to be one hundred twenty thousand dollars in debt and potentially not have a child oh, to yeah. show for it like it was that really harrowing, like awful moment to think about, but I was so against it. My, we ended up sending, setting up a, uh, a fundraiser for it. and uh, Thankfully we actually raised the full amount. And on top of that, with the advocacy that we did, it managed to fast track that treatment getting put onto the PBS.
2: Oh, great job. So oh. that yeah, was amazing. For anyone doesn't know PBS is the um, public system where Mm. Medicines and drugs are cheaper. Pharmaceutical benefits Thank scheme. You, there you go, because I was trying to speak. go. <laughs> and some it is important because I take um, something called Vesicare, which makes me not go to the bathroom as much. Otherwise, I have to pee every ten minutes. Not on there. It's like a hundred bucks a month mm. just to be able to live. You know what I mean? And obviously, I have a job and I'm very lucky. But for a lot of people with disabilities, they have to do the drugs. They're the, the cheap options, and they actually make you feel crook. Like the ones that I used to take when uh, I had no money. Mm. So it's an important scheme, really. Is oh, so, di- so you got to. So did you end up doing the treatment?
0: Yes. Went through with the treatment. I also on top of that had to have brain surgery. So Mm. the tumor was on the motor cortex, uh, which is basically the part of your brain that controls movement. So that was, that's kind of why I've got the limited or not really limited movement. It was potential. I mean, I went into that surgery and they basically said, there is a chance that you will never be able to move your right side of your body again. (laughs) And I had to completely relearn how to walk from scratch. So I got out of the surgery. I couldn't, I could move my left leg, my left arm, my right arm, right leg, absolutely nothing. And it was the weirdest feeling to sit there and think it's like move. And like, I think I got to the point where I was like saying out loud, I was like, just move. Like my leg was just flat to the ground. It's like, what is going on? Like, why aren't you responding? And after about, eight hours. I managed to get my leg like this far off the bed, like an inch Mm. off the bed. So it was that moment where I like really celebrated. I've got it on like, I think it's on YouTube somewhere as Mm. well. And it was like this amazing moment. And it's like, well, as soon as I could do that, everything else felt like it was possible, but it was still incredibly difficult. I'd gone from a week before I'd been training for a half marathon to run like running a half marathon. And then I was now in a bed and I could not even stand by myself, let alone walk. And then like three weeks after that, I was walking, I think it was sixty meters in six minutes, which is not very far. Hey, and I was exhausted by the end of it. Yes,
2: that's about six minutes quicker than I can do it. Yeah. As well. So you <laughs> You're keep, rubbing it into Dylan. He's kick, never gone six, oh, kick, so kick sixty sorry. meters. Right? Um <laughs> <laughs> uh...
1: <laughs>
0: I don't have come back to yeah, that. It's yeah, just like, really. oh, shit. I'm just used what,
2: to it. What was the time frame of you building up your ability to walk like uh, as you can today?
0: Long time. Yeah. I was still in a wheelchair for I want to say at least three or four months. Oh, a long time. Okay.
2: okay. Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. I was,
1: I was not being he he's, he's, actually, he's
0: actually
2: being serious no, yeah, then, yeah. I can tell. Uh, yeah, that,
0: he that, was that. like long time compared no. to me. Oh, <laughs> three, four months. Yeah, Try 30 I years. I
2: wasn't being then, but it sounded like I was. I was like, that actually is a fair stint after Yeah, all in terms of rehab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You never know with Dylan these well, well, days, you a, know. Well, I'm well, with you. That's funny. I like that. You're very good, Jess.
1: Got some uh, logistical questions for you about the eye that I'm curious about. Crossing the street, do you have to turn most of your body towards the other side to kind of make sure that you, you know, obviously I look left slightly, look right slightly. Do you have to kind of move half your body over to look, make sure the left is clear? All the
0: yeah, it's the same. I guess like when you're doing like a head check in the car, yeah. like, I have to do like a full body check. Yeah, and even when I cross the road, I still do get quite stressed because it's like I, I almost have to just like blindly believe that and trust the fact that I've checked the road well enough on that side and mm. just kind of walk. Yeah. Um, so it can be really scary and, um, yeah, just. I have to believe that I've done a good enough check to begin with.
1: Now I know, and everyone can do this, um, except for some of our blind community, like our great mate Ben Pennegal and and Steph Agnew, but, um, who don't have vision, but for watching television and stuff like that, do you find that you turn your body just like the tiniest angle, just to make sure that it's sort of more dead on?
0: So I actually hold my head at an odd angle. Um, and it's, Oh, like yeah. I have to go and see like a chiropractor or, or someone oh, yeah. to, like just to readjust <laughs> my neck. It opens because up vision. It does
1: open up the, yeah. It does. Like, it's like head. I
0: hold it. It would be at a slight angle just to sort of open up the peripheral vision a bit. So mm-hmm. it does then cause a bit of strain on the back of my neck and on the back of my head. So I do get then um, like a side effect of that is like migraines and headaches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I do go and see a chiropractor just to sort it all out.
2: People are going to be walking down the street listening to this right now, closing their eye going, and people are going to be going. <laughs> Are they winking at me? What are they doing over there? Hey, what about driving? Off limits or allowed?
0: No, allowed. Awesome. I was back behind the wheel within 10 days. I don't know how legal that oh. was. But... Hey,
2: hey, hey! can we edit that out? No, no, that's making the case. Uh, just <laughs> uh, authorities, don't worry, nothing happened.
0: <laughs> the doctor said it was fine. So yeah, good. He just said, make sure you're not on any of your pain medications and you'll be fine. So that's a, like, long, okay.
2: that's a long head check to make. So if you're head checking, so you have to like all the way around to make sure yeah. there's no cars? Or do you have like different mirrors in there to make sure?
0: So initially I just had like normal car and yeah. everything like that. I ended up swapping Honda has the, like, this is obviously not promo and I'm no, not no, no. <laughs> I'm sponsored by them. They have this amazing car that um, has a, like a spot, che- like a side checking camera yeah. on the left mirror, oh. which is perfect for me. So the, the spot checking happens on the camera screen, Great idea. Like on the, sorry, on the computer screen. Yeah. And so that's really changed my driving and gave me a lot more confidence and stuff like that. So we, like both me and my partner have a Honda because it makes my life easier to drive.
2: Did you know anything, like you're a disability advocate and and a motivational speaker, as you said, what was your knowledge about disability pre being 21 years old and having to to lose one of your eyes? Did you know anything about it? Did you you see it anywhere? Like what was your opinion of it?
0: Nothing. I, I honestly thought... I don't even know what I would have thought. It was just one of those things that it never really entered my life. Mm -hmm. Just hadn't crossed paths with anyone who'd had a disability or who spoke openly about having a disability. So it made it really difficult. And then when I was going through that surgery as well, I did ask my doctor to sort of refer me to someone who had been through the surgery that I was going through. And he wouldn't give me anyone's name. So I was so alone and stuff like that. And it's actually, I got in contact um, with Ben Pettingal afterwards and just having someone else who had kind of been through a, a similar thing to me was amazing. And mm. that really changed my perspective on it and gave me that light at the end of the tunnel that life wasn't going to be hell basically. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what I assumed. I was like, if I'm going to be different, I'm going to get put into the corner and sort of, you know, locked away. I, I, I kind of just had this vision of, no one's going to accept me. Finding a job is going to be really hard. You know, I think it was that whole like society doesn't accept people who don't fit in. Mm. And that was my perception. And that was probably what I believed at the time as well. And I think seeing people who were thriving, who were doing really well, who had found love and relationships and were living this life that I thought maybe would be unattainable for me. It was like, it was what's my career going to look like. And Who's going to love me? It was literally like those are the two things that were stressing me out. So knowing that there was maybe not someone who I had found, but the fact that someone there are people in the world who will still love you mm-hmm. and still accept you and still embrace it because it's like, you know, especially with something like cancer and I think, you know, a lot of other disabilities as well, it's not like it is ongoing. Like there is ongoing treatments, there's ongoing things that you have to do and, you know, it does impact day-to-day life. Mm. Um, you know, as a cancer patient as well, it means that my life expectancy was very uncertain. So mm. I was really unsure whether anyone would actually, I guess, want to buy into that in a sense, like if anyone would be willing to um, have a relationship with me because of that.
2: Can we dive into meaning, did you say his name was Sean? Yeah. So, yeah, so how, how long have you been with Sean and how did how did you go finding love when when you, I mean, you have multiple <laughs> disabilities after mm. a few years?
0: Oh golly, how did I go about it? I think for a long time. So I was actually dating someone very new when I was um, told I was gonna lose my eye and uh kind of, you know, flew it off. Jump shoot <laughs> wasn't yeah, he wasn't too interested in sticking around. If you're um, okay,
2: talk about it. That so that's that's tough because I know a lot of people, even my teammates who have a car accident and their partners just bail straight away. They're like, I don't want to be with someone in a wheelchair, whatever it is. So yeah, in a time when you know something's Huge is about to happen to you. you know, How did you feel in that moment?
0: I think I would have felt a lot worse if it had been a long-standing relationship. Yeah. Okay. I'd only been dating this guy for about five or six weeks. Okay, so it, I also probably wasn't that emotionally attached, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so
1: let's talk about Sean then. Yeah.
0: Um. So I went for I want to say like two years of completely like not dating, completely celibate. Like I just I think for me I went through this phase of I needed to learn to find like proper self-love again and properly appreciate the person that I was. Cause I was so conscious of the fact that if I didn't know who I was, know what I wanted and love myself fully, that I would potentially go with someone who would accept what was like my circumstances. And I didn't want that. I wanted either the full experience of love or nothing at all. And I got to that point where I was completely comfortable on my own. And that's when I decided to start dating again.
1: I love that. That's we we spoke about that as in Carly Finlay's episode as well. Yeah. Um about I
0: love Carly. Yeah. Having
1: to love yourself before you can it's great. accept love in. So that's really great that you yeah. found that same journey as well. That's beautiful. And hopefully, you know, someone might want it, need to hear that on theirs yeah. as well.
0: Yeah. I think if you don't love yourself, then you'll accept whatever's coming. And that's yeah. like often not it's not enough. It's it, you don't want to sit there and think that you are Selling yourself short. Yeah. So for me, yeah, it was that going through that. And then I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, now I'm ready, but what the hell do I do? Also, on top of that, I was still only seven months after being diagnosed with a stage four diagnosis. So I still had no clue what my prognosis and what my life expectancy was on top of that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go out and start dating again. That sounds mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Probably a little bit ambitious, but um, yeah, putting my, profile out there had the photos with the eye patch because i was like you know i have a very visible disability i they need to know that they are going on a date with someone who wears an eye patch um i think at the bottom i said something along the lines of um pirates wear an eye patch to improve their vision at night i wear an eye patch to get your attention
2: hey (laughs) good line good line i was
0: like yeah i'm gonna like just address it right up front and stuff like that um I think I almost gave up and then I swiped right on darling Sean and Mm. I just remember like he has the most beautiful kind hearted smile and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, he looks really nice. And we were chatting away. Like our first date, we went to a cafe and met up. He, I don't think he asked me about the iPad. I think he might've said like, Oh, ask me something about it. I just said, Oh, it's just for medical reasons. Um, I didn't want to go into the whole story just yet. Yep. I think bearing everything on the first date was going to be a little bit too much.
1: Sure.
0: Unknown to me, he had actually managed to Google me, find my website, find out everything about me anyway. And I'm sitting there like on the first date kind of going, oh, you know, I'll just keep this really quiet. He also sat on my blind side the first date and oh. I was too embarrassed to say anything about it. <laughs> sure. So I'm sitting Rookie there moves, and I'm, like, sitting- Very good. Oh. I know, I'm sitting there like, having to, like, physically turn my entire body to look at this guy and I'm, like, sitting there craning my neck and I was just too embarrassed so, to say anything. Uh, and, uh,
2: and he wouldn't even realised. He would have been like, oh, no. my God, afterwards. Oh,
0: yeah, I, he's read, like, the chapter in my book about it and he's just like, why didn't you just say something? I was like, I don't know. I, I just didn't want to make a deal out of it. <laughs> like, yeah,
2: fair enough. He sounds like, um, a, he sounds like a, a great man. Did, did he, was from the get-go, was he cool?
0: He was incredibly like he didn't really ask too much about it he really let me open up within my sort of time frames we also just had such a strong connection from the start we were one of those couples that went on like three dates in a week it was a bit intense (laughs) um (laughs) and I think about on the third date I was like he kind of like we're kind of escalating this quickly like I'm not dating anyone else I don't really want to date anyone else and I kind of need him to know what what he's getting into right now so I opened up a little bit about the cancer journey mentioned as well that we didn't really have a an idea of what my treatment and my prognosis meant for me and all of that sort of thing and he was really calm cool collected I don't know if he was freaking out in the background but mm-hmm. <laughs> he was cool and calm and collected to my face which was good um and I think on the fourth date was when he saw me without an eye patch And I remember that was honestly, for me, that was like way more intimate than ever being like at that point, I was still a little bit self-conscious. And I think as well, I was like, this is kind of going to be in my mind. I was like, this could be the deal breaker. Like he could look at my face and think that it's not something he wants to look at for the rest of his life. That sounds really self-conscious, but it was how I felt. Um, And I remember like the eye patch, uh, because like the leather ones, they do slip, so like the knots kind of start to come undone. And I'm sitting there like kissing him and then I'm like, hold on, just wait. And like trying to retie the <laughs> eye patch up. So romantic. Um <laughs> and, don't worry, um, Mike Rolls
1: in our last episode talk about having to take his leg off with a hammer. Yeah. So I mean
0: <laughs> Yeah, look, it's a little bit more swift than that. So <laughs> um and eventually he's like, you know, you can just take it off. And I was like, oh, yeah. Mm sure and i just like kind of took it off and like he just looked at me and he's like you know you're even more beautiful without your oh, eye patch he's he's guy. Guy. i was just like oh my gosh there we go found my person yeah. Yeah. beautiful um and i mean to this day he still says the same thing like he if it, i've because i'll come home and i'll have an eye patch on or something like that like one of the first things you'll ever do is like take my eye patch off like to him that's me, that's who I am. That's what he loves. Good on. And I really like.
2: I really love that. I love that um, about Sean. You are a, a very impressive woman, I must say, and you tell your story so well. You also, when you got nominated, you actually wrote us a really nice email. A bit about <laughs> yourself. How? <how's>, Dylan's,
1: <laughs> Dylan's a bit angry about. This.
2: How's this drive by, ready? So after all my treatment, I've since graduated from university, which is awesome. I've even written a beautiful book called I Won, which just stop
1: actually, on that for a second.
2: Great name for a book. I, won. I won. Great one. I
1: one. Great E Y E one. I've
2: written a book which actually overtook Dylan's book on Amazon. Full stop.
1: How's the drive by? No, 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 she kept going. And of course, I've got a screenshot oh, if you need proof. proof. <laughs> <laughs>
2: how's the drive by? I love uh, it. did an Email directed to me. <laughs> doing a drive by off myself. I was <laughs> like, that is <laughs> the audacity. Yeah, yeah that? pretty good. Hey, but I and actually, I do remember that. And it, it you're right. <laughs> it's a it's a great book. And well, I mean, what's next? You're just kicking kicking ass left, right, and center. Like we're, we're what do you see for, you know, what's your outlook, your dream?
0: I actually really loved writing the book. At high school, I was like the science nerd as well. So for me to be in this really creative industry is very much outside of my comfort zone, I guess, in some ways, but I'm mm-hmm. really loving it. So I I definitely want to write a couple of other books um, on different things. I don't know whether they are going to be about my story and stuff like that, or they're going to be different things, but there are definitely, I know, two books they are kind of in the works up here that they're just going to drop in. Can you Can at you do me point. favor?
2: Like, can you let me know when you're going to release it? And I'll release one just after and try and. Because <laughs> you want to
0: take you. over mine. Correct.
2: <laughs> and then I'll be like, Look, I want. As
0: I said, that moment was so good. I <laughs> know,
2: oh, fair enough. And hey, it deserved it. Bloody good book, 100%. Yeah, we um, actually, to
1: be fair, our podcast, when we released it, uh, we dropped all seven like seven episodes at the start and we overtook Camish Nandy and, and screenshot it. And we were like, yeah, the big dogs of podcast one. Look yeah. what we've done. And then the next day,
2: gone. Yeah, I think mine only took over for like three days. But my
0: publisher sent me the screenshot. She was like, here's proof that you're really going to love. (laughs) Yeah, I
2: love that. That's very good. That's
1: good. Time for a bowl of uncomfortable. This is where someone sends us a question. Uh, They can do it anonymously. They can send it through via our social medias, on our email. Um, And it's a question for you about your situation. Now, uh, they probably know that you don't have an eyelid. What happens when you cry?
0: Oh, it does feel weird. So I actually. You feel
2: like flood in there or something. Yeah, behind um, the skin.
0: It feels like it. Like, I don't know. I actually don't know what the, um like, I know that the tear duct has um scarred over because I, when I, it was about a month or two afterwards, I got a hideous infection in the tear duct mm. of their left side and um, I had to go and do like a whole bunch of tests and the doctor was basically like, yep. Like you probably won't have this again because this infection is so bad, it's going to scar the tear duct. But I actually still get like the prickly feeling and like the the sensation mm. of like crying. It's very weird. And I'm a very emotional person. So there's always lots of tears <laughs> around.
2: What a great question. It's, it's a really a good question. question. Yeah. yeah. So good you still question.
0: have the
1: sensation of it. That's really interesting. But yeah, you're yeah. because I was born without t- tear duct. Well, the hole. So when I was born, oh. one of my eyes started blowing up. And the doctor Ooh,
2: had to I think pin, it's, pin, pin my teeth. I thought that was because you got no go. soul and you're I a massive actually, jerk. Yeah, I haven't
1: cried since I'm very
2: unemotional. Yeah, because you're be a big <laughs> <jerk.
0: laughs> I clearly got all your emotions yeah. and you've just got none. You so got fine.
2: them. Hey, Jess, if people want to hit you up, uh, what's the best way to go about it? Because you're a star. I mean, I'm very impressed with your storytelling ability and you can help a lot of people. So give it a little plug.
0: Thank you. Uh, yeah, mostly Instagram. I think that's where a lot of people in our generation to head to. Yeah. Uh, it's just at Jess Van Ziel. And I post a lot of content there about how to build resilience, how to move through challenges, um, honoring yourself and all of those beautiful things that really just are uplifting and incredible. And my book is available on Amazon, still maybe ahead of Dylan's. Um, Uh,
2: And that that book is called Able uh, by Dylan. (laughs) 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 Hey Jess, thanks so much for giving up your time. Come and have a chat with us. And, I mean, incredible story, but especially feeling comfortable in your own skin and and the way that you hold yourself online and now that I've actually met you uh, in in person is very impressive. And both Angus and I and the Listenable family really appreciate you coming down and having a chat.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. And, yeah, I seriously am like the biggest fangirl of your podcast. Ah. I'm sure I've shared so many of your episodes up onto my socials and stuff like that. Um, I can't even remember, unfortunately, which episode it was, but I've started doing the – the advanced settings oh, on old text. Ste- Steph Agnew. Yeah. Old so yeah. straight after I heard that, I was like, I need to get onto this because I always found I didn't have enough words at the end to do that, but to know mm. that you can do that without and it doesn't impact the number of words. Yeah, it's So impressive. there is no excuse no. now for hey, anyone not to do it. And
2: shout out to Steph Agnew who routinely texts me and said, hey, alt text. Yeah. i like, oh, I forgot about the alt text. Yeah, it's so perfect. it's very good because it means people who are vision, uh, with low vision can still use social media. Very and to cool. Steph,
1: I do apologise. I'm very good at doing it on ListenAble because I'm like, oh, alt text, but I, on my personal, which he also follows. Yeah, that's where we get. That's, yeah, yeah, I do sometimes we'll live, forget. We'll Steph. I promise. We'll, we'll be better. And thank you very much, Jess Van for being on ListenAble.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: An incredibly impressive young woman and a great guest to have on Look this go. show. So thank you. I can't find the person... Who nominated her? They
2: know who you are, and yeah. I think the best thing about these nominations is, like, probably now sixty percent of our guests have been nominated, yeah, people that you and I didn't know, hundred percent. Like, and people said, "Oh, you're just getting some of Dylan's famous friends at the start." And I was like, "No, no, no. Like, we don't know. We don't know a lot of these people." And we still
1: get messages of people saying, "Can we have someone who's not famous?" These people aren't famous, they're just, they're, or they've made something from their disability. These,
2: <laughs> or embrace the disability. They're not, of course, they're just everyday people, but they've got amazing stories, and that just shows mm-hmm. that people with disability can be great contributors to society, to a workplace, because people think all these people are just famous. I'm like, no, no, they're just disabled people who are really good storytellers and happy to be vulnerable and authentic with us. So if you have a nomination, please send it in.
1: Yeah, at outlook.com is the email. That way we all get to see it, not through the socials, which is mostly just me seeing them. Can I also just point out a couple of guests that we are working on? We will have an amazing, like a person who's done a TED Talk who is deaf. We will have Auslan interpreters with them. Uh, that right. is in the works. We just have to organise the timings around COVID. They're not in yep. Victoria. or We just got to figure out the times. We'll also have someone of short stature uh, yep. coming in.
2: Everyone keeps telling me us to get M. Carey. Oh, M. Carey. Hey, M. Carey. Yes.
1: She's agreed to it on our socials. Uh, we just can't get in contact with her. Of course, um, she survived a skydiving accident but became disabled because of it. She's the girl who fell from the sky is how she describes herself on her Instagram. We will have M. Carey on. M. We promise. M. Carey, I
2: know you're a big fan of the podcast. Thank
1: you very much for listening. Until the next
2: episode, stay well, stay safe. We'll talk to you then. I just said you're a big fan of the podcast and I just searched if you follow us and you don't. Listen, doesn't. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Listenable
1: was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull.